my breath with every song I bring. An empty voice, a hollow noise. If I speak with a silver tongue, convince a crowd, but don't have love, I leave a bitter taste with every word I say. So let my life be the proof, the proof of your. Well, good morning, everyone. Good to see you. So glad to see everybody here this morning. Make your way in. If you can hear my voice and you're outside, come on in and find a, a place to, to sit. This is, um, this is that time where we get to honor God and worship him together. You know, there really is something unique and special about worshiping the Lord together in community like this. And so I trust this will this will be a great way to kick off your new week in worshiping the Lord all throughout the week. Um, but we're going to honor God by opening his word together. I'm going to worship him through song and through prayer uh, in many ways. But, um, you know, we've all had different kind of experiences this week and even this morning coming into this building. And uh, God knows that. He knows your heart. He knows you and he loves you. And this morning, we're going to be talking all about those wonderful characteristics and attributes of our God uh, as we worship him together this morning. So, however you, um, you are feeling right now, however you are um, sensing your, your place in your journey with Jesus, know that we are here together to worship him and that you can be real with him, you can be yourself. And so what I'd like to do now is um, have Claudia read from the scriptures as our call to worship, and then we will uh, enter into a time of worshiping God through song. So I, I encourage you, as you hear God's word, let it speak to you, let it be um, the means by which God calms your heart and readies your mind to enter into his presence this morning. Uh, and then as we sing the songs, let the, the truth of those words sink deep and the sound of the music move your emotions and your spirit as we uh, join together in joining with our God in uh, communion this morning. So, Claudia. 
I will exalt you, my God, the King. I will praise your name forever and ever. Every day I will praise you and extol your name forever and ever. Great is the Lord and most worthy of praise. His greatness no one can fathom. One generation commends your works to another. They tell of your mighty acts. They speak of the glorious splendor of your majesty. And I will meditate on your wonderful works. They tell of the power of your awesome works. And I will proclaim your great deeds. They celebrate your abundant goodness and joyfully sing of your righteousness. The Lord is gracious and compassionate slow to anger, rich in love. The Lord is good to all. He has compassion on all he has made. All your works praise you, Lord. Your faithful people extol you. They tell of the glory of your kingdom and speak of your might, so that all people may know of your mighty acts and the glorious splendor of your kingdom. Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and your dominion endures through all generations. The Lord is trustworthy in all he promises and faithful in all he does. The Lord upholds all who fall and lifts up all who are bowed down. The eyes of all look to you, and you give them their food at the proper time. You open your hand and satisfy the desires of every living thing. The Lord is righteous in all his ways and faithful in all he does. The Lord is near to all who call on him, to all who call on him in truth. He fulfills the desires of those who fear him. He hears their cry and saves them. The Lord watches all who love him, but the wicked he will destroy. My mouth will speak in praise of the Lord. Let every creature praise his holy name forever and ever. So we thank you and we praise you for being faithful to us. We want to be faithful to you. So God, we honor you now in our time of worship. We do so in Jesus' name. Amen. Church, let's worship him together.
God. 
you believe that, church, that in Jesus Christ you are a child of God? Amen? Take a moment to say good morning to somebody next to you. Well, if we can make our way back to our seats, it's great to see good fellowship, and uh, thank God for our little ones, for our children who made their way down the hall, uh, as we were uh, hearing earlier from Psalm 145, right, that it is, uh, it is our call and God's will that we would pass on from one generation to the next um, the mighty works and mighty acts of our mighty God. And I love that last song that we did because it's so important to remember who we are in Christ and who God says that we are, amen? But what we're going to do this morning in our time together, we are going to look at who God is because before we actually understand and embrace who God says we are, let's start with who God is, right? And... um Boy, of course, the scriptures are full of all different names of God, and it reveals his many characteristics, his very nature. And so we're going to look at a bunch of those this morning just briefly, because what I'd like to do is just help us to paint a picture, paint a picture in our minds of who God is. But of course, we get that picture from the Holy Bible, the scriptures themselves, right? And so a few reminders before we open God's word and dive in. We will be in um, Matthew 16, so if you'd like to turn to it and get ready, uh, we'll, um, we'll open that and read that together in a few minutes. Matthew 16, it's verses 13 uh, through 17. 
And uh, you can use the Bibles in front of you, or I always encourage you to bring your own, or if you can use the Bible app on your phone, of course. But Matthew 16, 13 to 17 will be our passage for today. But just a few quick updates in what we call church life. Um, and, uh, you know, it's a good reminder that, of course, we have three core values here at Trinity. We say I'm often learn, grow, and serve. And that is how we pursue discipleship, being followers of Jesus, that we learn the truth, we grow in faith, and then we serve. We serve one another, and we serve the people in the world around us. And that's important because we understand that is an important part of who we are at Trinity as we learn, we grow, and we serve together. And uh, just as a reminder as well that we have um, the discipleship pathway that is um, uh, going to be launched on September 25th, and that's something that you've been hearing me mention uh, many times. And um, the discipleship pathway is going to be a tool that I think will become um, extremely important and a part of the DNA here at Trinity. Um, the idea is that we are all, as Christians, right, called by the Lord Jesus, as believers in Him, to be His followers. And he tells us, and he says, if you want to be my disciples, you are to deny yourself and take up your cross and follow me. And so our discipleship pathway will help us do just that. It will help us as a great tool to stay on target, to stay on track, to stay on the path of following the Lord Jesus, and it'll help us to do it together so we can keep each other accountable and we can continue to encourage each other. And so on, on September 25th, in just a few weeks, we will launch that uh, tool, and I'll be doing a, a sermon series on that to help us unpack it. There will be a, um, print material, and there'll be uh, stuff all up on the website as well uh, to help uh, go along with all of our uh, resources to help us follow Jesus better as we pursue him, learning and growing and serving together. And just a, a snapshot, a picture of what we will be launching on Sunday, September 25th, this pathway of being a disciple. And 12 things that we see from Scripture that help to mark sort of as stepping stones the, the journey of a disciple. But of course, as you see, uh, that journey can take different paths through these 12 things. It's not linear but we all start at the same place, that is trusting in Jesus for salvation, and that's first and foremost. And so this is what we will uh, explore and journey through together this fall, starting on uh, September 25th. And then, of course, um, we have a few other things that I just want to make sure that we're aware of. We have the Life Recovery Group that is starting next Sunday, that's September 11th, and you heard um, Steve uh, come last week and share a, a powerful testimony about what God has done in his life through such a program, and so he will be facilitating that for us, and that will be uh, from 9 to 10, 15 every Sunday morning, just down the hall in the conference room, and that is life recovery. And again, that is a Christ-centered, Bible-based um, program that we use, a group. It's a 12-step program similar to what you might see in AA, but it is completely based on the scripture about what God says, who he says we are, as we were just singing, but how all of us can pursue and embrace recovery from whatever it is that we might be struggling with. 
whether it is an addiction to alcohol or drugs, or perhaps it is an issue with anger, with lust, with uh, anxiety, with frustration, whatever it might be in your life, things that are, are uh, um, that continue to trip you up, those sins, those habits that, um, that you have just not been able to release to the Lord, well, the scripture is full of wonderful truth about how it is that we can do that and do that, of course, in Jesus Christ. And so this is a group for everybody, all right? So I encourage you, Pray about that and see if that is something that the Lord is moving you and calling you to be a part of. And it's every Sunday, 9 to 1015, Life Recovery Group, down the hall. That's right before our service. So I want to make sure that you are aware of that. Um, all this information, of course, is on our website uh, and through the email updates that you receive during the week. We have our Tuesday morning men's and women's Bible study starting this week, this Tuesday going through the book of Genesis. September 28th, we have our Wednesday evening service beginning. You'll hear more about that. Um, I also want to mention, too, that every year, for many years, we participate in what's called the Angel Tree Ministry. It's one of the ministries of our Father's Persistent Love Ministries with Debbie Carver, one of our missionary partners. And so even though this is for um, Christmas time and uh, buying presents for children whose parents are incarcerated, we want to get the ball rolling on that now. And so if you're interested, whether you've done it before or you, maybe this is something new to you, if you're interested in signing up to buy presents for one or more children uh, and perhaps even signing up to deliver them, which is a, a beautiful opportunity and part, a great part of that, uh, that ministry, then just go to our website. It'll be available this week, and you can just put your name down and uh, fill in some information so that we can have an idea of uh, how many people that we have interested, okay? So again, this will be up on our events page, on our website, trinityallenwood.com, but Angel Tree is something we've done many years, uh, and uh, we want to continue to do that to be able to bless those children. So just to keep that in mind, uh, we have an outreach today, and uh, our outreach uh, is, uh, as you can see, we have one every month. And uh, today is September uh, 4th, if you didn't know that already, so happy September. And um, it is our prayer walk in Asbury Park. And so it starts at 4, um, but what we're asking is that if you're joining us, um, that you would meet at the Jersey Shore Rescue Mission around 3.30, uh, and then we'll go up from there together, drive up to the, um, to the boardwalk in Asbury Park and do a very simple thing but very profound. It's a prayer walk where we get to walk up and down the boardwalk. You pray for people as you see them, and then you also pray for those opportunities to engage in a conversation. And you can do something as simple as, hey, how are you today? Good. You enjoying the beach, enjoying the, the nice air on the boardwalk. You know, we're from a local church, and we're just praying for people today. Would you enjoy prayer? Is there something I can pray for you? It's as simple as that. Now, for some of us, right, that is way, way out of our comfort zone, right? But that's something you pray for as you're praying, right? As you're walking along silently praying for people, you can ask God, God, give me that courage. Give me that strength to just ask somebody because you never know what God's going to do in and through you. Amen? And we believe in the power of prayer here at Trinity. And so I would encourage you to take advantage of that 3.30 meeting at the Jersey Shore Rescue Mission at Asbury Park, and then we'll go up to the boardwalk together. Uh, as I've been mentioned for, for a while now, Shane and Aaron Latham are coming, but they are here, and so they're sitting over there. So if you can just kind of raise your hand, there they are. Thank you. Praise the Lord for them. 
Yeah, I wasn't making it up. See, they actually are here. That's them. You can look. And uh, we're grateful to have them here for a couple of weeks. And I know many of you got an opportunity to, to reconnect or to meet them for the first time in our, our uh, breakfast fellowship. And um, they, uh, Shane will be bringing a message next Sunday. So make sure that you're, you're here for that and join us as we hear Shane give an update on and his ministry and what they love to focus on as well and, and where God has their hearts in their, their, for their, their lives and, of course, for their ministry um, uh, these days. And so please make sure that you come back, invite a friend. It'll be a great Sunday to invite a friend uh, to come and do that. Because of course, we also will have our fellowship lunch and communion um, next Sunday. And so uh, it'll be uh, an important uh, and fun um, a Sunday. So a great time to invite a friend. You get to hear from uh, from Shane Latham about all that's going on in Brazil and his in their ministry, he and Aaron's ministry. All right, and so um, let's uh, make sure we make a note of that, that next week is our communion uh, and our lunch. And then uh, a couple other things I wanted to mention, you know, um, perhaps I think this is our last um, announcement, but um, we have um, a special business meeting coming up that the leadership has called, and it, it will be also on September 25th. That's our launch day of the Discipleship Pathway. But very briefly, after that Sunday service, um, everybody is welcome to attend, but we would ask that all members of Trinity, official members, be there because we're going to vote on something. And uh, this opportunity has come up recently for us to possibly sell a, a portion of our property. As you uh, leave the, the church today, you'll see there's a large wooded lot on this side of the property. It goes all the way over to Sally Ike and along the reservoir. So it's a piece of property that we've never done anything with. And actually, we actually can't build on it. We have too much what they call impervious coverage. You notice the size of our parking lot, right? And so we have this wooded lot that we won't be able to build on. And so we have an opportunity to, to sell it, to put it up for sale. And, uh, but yet, of course, the leadership has decided we believe that the Lord's leading us in this direction. It would be good for Trinity to do that. And, uh, but of course, something uh, like that needs a vote of the membership according to our constitution. And so um, if you have any questions about sort of how that came up and the leadership's vision for that, uh, maybe you have a little bit, you know, some questions about what that is and what that actually looks like in particular, just see myself or Bruce Neary, our other elder, or one of the deacons. We can talk more about it. But on September 25th, in a few weeks, right after service, we'll have a very brief meeting uh, for all the members to vote on that, up or down, that uh, the leadership has decided would be a good idea, but we certainly need the congregation's uh, approval to go ahead and do something like selling a piece of the property, all right? Does that make sense? So if you have any other questions, just ask one of the leaders, but that will be on September 25th, and you'll get um, notices about that reminding you, but we would ask that you mark your calendars so that we can have a quorum of uh, voting members for our uh, special business meeting on um, selling a piece of the property. All right, and so um, there's, of course, many more things that you can learn about Trinity on our website, uh, trinityallenwood.com, so make sure that you, you check it out often to get updates and uh, see what it is that all is going on here at Trinity. And so, um, you know, <clears throat> we were singing about this song, you know, who, um, who does God say that we are, right? And who he says we are is what we are to embrace. No matter what other people say about us, 
that we are to understand and embrace who God says we are. But you know, there's a, a passage in Scripture that gives this wonderful account, this little scene uh, of Jesus with his disciples, and he asks them a question. And this is our passage for today, and he asks them a question. First, he asks them, and he says, who do all the people say that I am? This is Jesus asking his disciples. And so you'll see in a minute when I read it, they give different answers. Oh, people think you're John the Baptist or you're, you're Elijah or maybe, you know, one of the other prophets. And then Jesus, as he always does, he asks good questions, doesn't he? Did you ever notice that? His, his wonderful communication style, he asks questions. And so then he asks a follow-up question and he says, who do you say that I am? And then Peter gives him an answer, which we'll read in a moment. But that's our question for this morning. Who do you say that God is? When you think of God, now be honest with yourselves, when you think of God, what's the first thing you think of? What kind of mental picture do you have of God? Now, of course, we know Jesus is God himself, and the disciples at another point said, Jesus, just show us the Father, and we'll be good, and, and we'll be okay, and and he kind of chastises them in the way that Jesus does. And he says, you haven't gotten this by now? <laughs> You've been with me all this time? And he tells them, and he says, if you have seen me, you have seen the Father. So the other day, a little girl here from church, she asked me a question. We were leaving um, an event, and she stops and asks me a question, and she says, Pastor Keith, what does God look like? Now, you know, of course, my initial reaction before I said anything, my head was filled with all of these theological concepts that I was ready to just lay out for her to make an argument of, of what does God look like, right? But instantly, of course, I knew that wasn't going to fly. And so as I start talking, I said to her, I said, well, I said, God doesn't have a body. He's a spirit. So we really don't know what he looks like and said, oh, I thank the Lord for, for him just giving me this answer that perhaps a, a young little girl, you know, could understand. And I said, well, the Bible says God is love. So whatever you think about when you think about love, that's kind of what God looks like. You know, and I, I think that helped. I think that registered. I don't know. But in a way... It's, it's a good start, isn't it? It's a good answer that we know Scripture tells us in many ways that God is love. But who do we say that he is? If he is love, what does that look like? If you were to draw a picture of God, what would it look like? Would it look like Jim Caviezel from the movie, The Passion of the Christ? <laughs> Would he have long hair and a beard and a big crown? When you picture God. It reminds me of this, all of her little students, and I think it was in kindergarten, first grade, and gave them an opportunity to draw pictures, you know, picture time. So she comes up to this little boy, and she sees he's drawing, what do you, what do you, and she said, well, you know, we don't really know what God looks like. You can't be drawing a picture of God, because nobody knows what he looks like. So he turns to the teacher and he says, they will when I'm done drawing the picture. 
I love the confidence of the little kids, right? But what kind of picture comes to mind when you think about God? A.W. Tozer, who's a famous um, author, a Christian author, written many, many classic books. He says this. He says in his book, The Knowledge of the Holy, he says, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. He says, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. So what do you think about when you think about God? Who is he? What is he really like? What would he look like if you drew a picture? Well, today I want to go through a number of God's attributes. Part of his nature that God unveils to us and reveals to us in his word to help us paint that mental picture of who God is. We'll look at all these briefly, but I think it's very important for us to be reminded of what the scriptures say about our God. Because you know what I find very often, church, is that we do this, and of course, uh, unbelievers will, will do this as well, people that don't yet believe in Jesus Christ. What they will do is they will come up with their own picture of God, not fully based on Scripture, which is his self-revelation to us, right? But we get this picture of God based upon a little bit from the Bible, a little bit from what we've heard, and also mixed in with our experiences. And so we, we might even not say it out loud, but we come to these conclusions about who God is based upon our experiences as well, because we might, might watch the news, right? And say, how come all of these innocent people are dying? I suppose God isn't that compassionate, right? Or I've been struggling with this sin for years and asking God to take it away. I guess God doesn't hear all of my prayers like I've heard the Bible says. Or, you know, I prayed for my, my family member to be healed from cancer because my friend's parents were healed. And I prayed for my, my family member to be healed, but yet they died. And so I guess God doesn't really heal people like the Bible says. Do you see, it becomes dangerous and a slippery slope, really, when we start taking our experiences and what we see and adding that in to our understanding of who God is. Because those are subjective, but the Bible is objective truth. It tells us who God is, right? Regardless of what we experience, it is true what Scripture says about who God is. And that's why we can stand firm on his word. And we can have all full confidence and assurance that God is who he says he is. And he will do whatever he promises to do. Amen? So let's look at some of these attributes of God. But I want to first read this passage of Scripture to you that kind of sets the stage for that. This is that that account when Jesus asked the disciples these questions. And so this is Matthew 16. It's 13 to 17. And it says this, So now when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he was asking his disciples, Who do people say 
that the Son of Man is. And they said, some say John the Baptist, others Elijah, but still others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. And he said to them, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus said to him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. Powerful scripture. We're going to unpack some of that today as we look at these different attributes of God. So we think of these questions as we dive in together. Who does the world think God is? Who do we as believers think he is? See, Jesus says that Peter is right, and his response is crucial to our understanding of who God is, because Jesus says Peter is blessed because of how he answered. Because flesh and blood, Jesus said, did not reveal this to you. Meaning he didn't get it from somebody else or from his own experiences, but my Father who is in heaven, meaning God has revealed himself to us. That's why Peter is right, because Peter is saying something that is true. He is truly and and correctly identifying God by God's own self-revelation, see? Through, of course, the Son, Jesus Christ. So Jesus makes that clear point, that you are blessed, not because flesh and blood revealed it to you, but because my Father in heaven revealed it to you. So church, is so important that when we think about God, when we have a picture of God in our lives, And then, of course, who we are in him, we have to start and end with the scripture itself. That's why if you go to to any, um, you go to church website, right, almost all of them, they all should, if they have a a statement of faith or a doctrinal statement about what they believe, it's always going to start with what they believe about the Bible. You might think, well, why don't we start in in our statement of faith or doctrinal statement about about who God is. Well, how do we know who God is? He has revealed himself to us in his word. So it's first important to understand what a church believes about the Holy Scriptures, right? Is it inspired? Is it inerrant? How do we handle the word of God from there? The second thing will be is, on that list will usually be, what do we think about God? Who is God the Father? Because that's where we get it from. See, there's two different kinds, really, of revelation. There's general revelation. God reveals himself to us in nature, right? And what we see around us in Romans 1, Paul says that people are without excuse because of what we see in creation. But then there is what we call special revelation. That is Jesus Christ himself in the incarnation, and that is God's very word, the Bible. Because God has basically told us in his word, he says, here I am. Here I am, get to know me. But also in the midst of that, get to know who I believe you are, as we were singing earlier, who he says we are. And so let's look at the different attributes of God this morning. First, he is creator. You want to start with Genesis? You want to go all the way back. Genesis 1.1, in the beginning, God created. God is the ultimate creator. God is creator. He's creator of all that we see around us, 
but he is our creator as well. Psalm 24 says, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and those who dwell therein, Psalm 24.1. God is creator. Do you think of God as being the ultimate creator? Many of you are creative. Maybe some of you paint or you, you draw, you construct, right? Where does that creativity come from? You do your, your, your gardening outside. I love to put together a beautiful garden. You love to decorate. You, you enjoy the beauty of things. Where does that come from? It comes from God because he is the ultimate creator. See that? So it helps us as well as created beings to connect with our God because he is our maker. He has made us the way that we are. We look around this room and we see the beautiful diversity. Yes, you're all beautiful, and we are all different right, in God's eyes, and he loves that. It's a snapshot of what I believe eternity will look like in heaven with our God. But see, that is the beautiful, creative hand of our God who is a creator. And praise God that because he has made us, he knows us. But yet also, God is not only creator, but he is eternal. And that's something that we just can't quite wrap our minds around, right? Eternity. See, we think of time in a linear fashion, beginning and end. We have the beginning of our life, the end of our life. We might look at the Bible and say there's a beginning and there's an end. God's going to bring it all to completion. But what about eternity? And people might ask, who was there before God? Who created God? I think scripture is clear that God is not a created being. See, but see, how do we wrap our minds around that? He's not a created being. God is eternal. He is alpha and omega, the beginning and the end, because he has no beginning and he has no end. God always is and always has been. Think of it this way, too. There has never been a time where God did not know something. See, we, we think about times when we didn't know something, and then we learn it, and now we do. God has always known everything at all times because he is outside of time and space. Therefore, we can say that he is eternal. He's immortal. He is infinite. Psalm 90 verse 2 says, Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you had formed the earth and the world, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. What a beautiful phrase. God is from everlasting to everlasting. 1 Timothy 1, to the king of the ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. No beginning and no end. He sent Jesus the incarnate God, into this world, into time and space. We can mark a time in the history of our world when Jesus lived and died. But at the same time, God is eternal. So God is creator and God is eternal. He is also what we call triune. That means the Trinity. He is three persons in one. Kind of funny word for that, right? Maybe you've heard it before. But he is three in one. 
He is one God in three persons, coexistent, co-equal. Genesis 1.1, in the beginning, God created. That word Elohim for God in the Hebrew is a plural word. Genesis 1.26, God says, let us make man in our image. The Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Matthew 3, 16 to 17. And when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. What a beautiful picture of God the Father. Speaking of God the Son, right? To the Holy Spirit. So God is triune, three in one. You know, we can pray to the Holy Spirit. We pray to God in the name of Jesus. You can pray to the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit is God. God uses the person of the, and the work of the Holy Spirit to convict us of sin, to illuminate the truth of God's word, to direct our paths, always bringing us back to Jesus and his word. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. God is also then spirit, right? As I tried to, to paint that picture to that little girl, right, that that God doesn't have a body like we might think. Jesus did. The incarnate. Incarnation means take on flesh. It was God in the flesh. But God himself is spirit. John 4, God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. He said that to the Samaritan woman at the well when she was talking about her ancestors worshiping God on one mountain. And Jesus said, a time will come, and now is, because he was there, where you will worship neither on that mountain or this mountain, right? He talks about the kind of worshipers that God seeks, the worshipers who worship him in spirit and in truth, because God is spirit. He is not bound by flesh and blood, yet he humbled himself to become flesh. It says that in Philippians 2, the greatest act of humility that Paul recounts, says that Jesus did not, this is amazing, Jesus did not equate, Jesus did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. Yet he humbled himself to the point of death, even death on a cross. The greatest act of humility. But he didn't even take advantage of the power that he had, right? To let that pass by him. Not bound by flesh and blood. That incarnation was a choice. It was voluntary. It worked within, within time and nature and space, of course. But our God ultimately is spirit. But these attributes help us to paint a picture. Our God is also holy. We sang of that earlier. What does that mean? It means he is perfect. It means he is pure, without blemish, without sin. Habakkuk 1.12, Are you not God from everlasting, O Lord my God, my holy one? 
Psalm 99.9, exalt the Lord our God and worship at his holy mountain, for the Lord our God is holy. This means as sinners, we have to be separated from him because sin cannot be in his presence. But yet we must be reconciled to him, so therefore we must be made holy. How are we made holy, church? Through the blood of Jesus Christ. That's what makes us holy. That's what allows us to be able to be in the presence of a holy God. Made us white as snow. That holiness is related to his righteousness, which means he is perfectly just, perfectly holy, and he will judge sin in a holy way. Our God is holy. Let me just ask you this question. Let me move on to the next. When you think of God, that picture of God, as Tozer said, maybe that most important thing about us is what we think of God. Do you think of him as holy? Yes, he is our friend. He is Abba Father, the Father that we can crawl up onto his lap and and cry on his shoulder and let him know what's going on in our life. But our God is also holy. Let's never lose sight of that amazing attribute of our God. He is a holy God. He is perfect. Amen? God is also immutable, which simply means he is unchangeable. Immutable means he's unchangeable. God does not change. Malachi 3.6, for I, the Lord, do not change. Psalm 102 says it this way, they will perish, but you will remain. They will wear out like a garment. You will change them like a robe and they will pass away. But you are the same and your years have no end. That's Psalm 102, verses 26 to 27. Our God is immutable, which means he's unchangeable. He is perfectly and wholly consistent and perfectly and wholly complete. Now there are some passages of scripture perhaps that might make it seem like God changes or changes his mind, but I would say to you that that is from our perspective, because again, if God is outside of time or space, then there's never a time that he doesn't know anything, so God is immutable, he does not change. But of course, from our human experience and viewpoint, the way God often explains things to us, it might seem like changes his mind. Remember in the story of Jonah, God said he would destroy Nineveh, but then he relented. Did he change his mind? It certainly seems that way from our perspective. But God is a forgiving God. He relentlessly pursues us, but it is entirely consistent with who God is to be forgiving, to be relenting because he is just. Our God never changes. Why is that good to know as we paint a picture of God? Why is it so important and so good for us to include that in our picture? Because the world around us is changing, ever-changing, isn't it? Our bodies are changing. The, the, The cultural landscape is changing. Everything is changing. But yet God doesn't change. Church, how beautiful it is and how important it is that we can stand upon the firm foundation 
of our God, our rock, who never changes. When everything around us changes, sometimes seemingly crumbling to the ground, we can be 100% trusting in a God who never changes. That also means to me when he makes a promise, he will keep his promise because that nature of God does not change. A few more. Our God is also incomparable. To whom can we compare God? 2 Samuel 7, Therefore you are great, O Lord God, for there is none like you, and there is no God besides you, according to all that we have heard with our ears. Psalm 86, 8, There is none like you among the gods, O Lord, nor are there any works like yours. He alone is God, and he alone is worthy of our worship. No one or thing deserves more of our time than God. God is also unfathomable. We cannot truly comprehend God. Isaiah 40, 28, Have you not known, have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. Psalm 145, we heard from it earlier. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised, and his greatness is unsearchable. (laughs) We should, of course, seek to know him. Get to know Jesus better. That's what good disciples do. But we can, of course, never know everything. But you know what? I think that's a good thing because we know that for the rest of our lives, our journey with Jesus, we will keep discovering new and beautiful and amazing things about our God. We will never arrive, but yet it truly is about the journey. Isaiah 55, 8 through 9 For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts, says God to us. God is unfathomable. I hope you're getting a picture that in your mind is, if you're going to draw a picture of God, I think you need a pretty big piece of paper. (laughs) Our God is a big God. He is a holy God. He is unfathomable. He is incomparable. Our God is also omniscient, which is a fancy thing for saying he is all-knowing, our God. Isaiah 46, 9-10, Remember the former things of old, for I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is none like me, declaring the end from the beginning. And from ancient times, things not yet done saying, my counsel shall stand, and I will accomplish all my purpose. Psalm 139, a very familiar psalm to many of us. It begins this way, O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down, when I rise up, you discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my days. Even before a word is on my tongue, Behold, O Lord, you know it all together. Nothing can surprise God. That thing that happens in your life that catches you by surprise, it did not surprise God. Do you believe that? It did not surprise him. He can't not know something. That should be comforting to us, that he knows us perfectly. It means he is trustworthy. He is an omniscient God. He's also 
omnipresent, which means he is everywhere all at once. Why? Because he is spirit. Psalm 139, where shall I go from your spirit or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you're there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand will lead me and your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness will cover me and the light about me might be night, even the darkness is not dark to you. And night is bright as the day, for darkness is as light with you. For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. Always present everywhere with all that he is, with all of his creation at all times. Now, it's not what some people might believe, which which really falls under that name of pantheism, where he's like, well, God is that tree. <laughs> no, that's not what the Bible is saying. What the Bible is saying is that God as spirit right, is everywhere all at once. You ever think about how it is we can all be praying? Millions upon millions of Christians around the world praying at the same time. And God knows all of us intimately he hears our prayers. He knows us. He loves us. He answers our prayers. Our God is omnipresent. But he is also omnipotent. Job 42.2, I know that you can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. Psalm 33, by the word of the Lord, the heavens were made and by the breath of his mouth, all their host. He can do anything he wants. But he will always, and this is important, he will always be aligned with his word and what he has already revealed about himself. God cannot lie. He can choose to limit his own power, but that does not change his omnipotence. 2 Corinthians 13, talking about Jesus, for he was crucified in weakness, but lives by the power of God. For we are weak in him, but in dealing with you, we will live with him by the power of God. And this power gives us hope that none of our problems are too big for God to handle, and that we have the hope of the resurrection in the future, eternal life, as we talked about earlier. Because he is eternal, we will live in him eternally. We will be raised to life since he was raised to life. Two more. God is sovereign. Maybe that's one of the things you do think of, that perhaps you put a, a, a sovereign crown, a king's crown on him. Psalm 115.3, our God is in the heavens. He does all that he pleases. He is in charge. Second Chronicles 20, verse 6. O Lord, God of our fathers, are you not God in heaven? You rule over all the kingdoms of the nations, in your hand are power and might, so that none is able to withstand you. That's Second Chronicles 20, verse 6. God is in complete control at all times, even as he allows our enemy, the evil one, Satan, to prowl around this world like a roaring lion, as it tells us, seeking whom he will devour. God is still ultimately and universally sovereign and in control. In God's perfect sovereignty, he has also allowed us to exercise our freedom, 
to make that choice to believe in Jesus or not. We have a lot of freedom in Christ, and we should embrace that church, but yet God is always sovereign. That should be comforting to us. So I bring a conclusion to this. Why is this important? Why? Because every attribute that I mentioned and all the others that I didn't, it's like a domino effect. One leads to the other. How we see God and understand who he is directly affects how we live our life, how we interact with other people, how we handle adversity, how we overcome fears, how we see ourselves and our identity. When you were singing that song earlier, brothers and sisters, how did you feel singing that song? Who you say I am. I am chosen, not forsaken. I am who you say I am. Do you truly embrace that and believe that? Because I believe we can have great assurance in who we are in Christ. He gives us that assurance. One last attribute that we'll end with. God is love. Gracious, merciful, and forgiving. The great, powerful, almighty, righteous, holy, and perfectly pure creator of the universe also loves you. That's unfathomable, but yet we embrace it and know that it's true. 1 John 4, 8 says it simply, God is love. Because he is love, he allows himself to love us. God loves us. This holy, righteous creator of the universe loves us. And because he is love, and because he also loves, he is forgiving. He knows your weakness. He knows your fears. He knows your heart. He knows your mind. He knows your sin and disobedience. He knows you are in need of rescue. He knows you can't rescue yourself. He knows we need a Savior, and that out of a heart of love, he chose to save us himself by sending his one and only son, Jesus, to pay the debt of sin that you and I owe. See, he offers forgiveness, eternal forgiveness, through Jesus Christ and him alone. We don't have to work for it. We don't deserve it. We can't earn it. Ephesians 2, 8, and 9 says it, for by grace you have been saved through faith. It's not of works so that none of us can boast, but he did it for us. God is your heavenly father, a perfect father, who reaches down out of heaven with arms open wide, offering forgiveness through the sacrifice of his son, Jesus. And the Bible says over and over again that to receive that free gift of forgiveness, of salvation, you need only believe. John three sixteen. For God so loved the world. It means this is how he loved. Not, not how much, this is how he did it. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever would believe in him would never die, but have everlasting life. That Tozer quote that we started with, again said this, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. But you know, C.S. Lewis, another very famous Christian author, said this. He said, how God thinks of us 
is not only more important, but infinitely more important. He's saying how God thinks of us. I believe it's two sides of the same coin. See, Tozer says, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. And then C.S. Lewis turns that coin around and says, how God thinks of you is infinitely more important. He goes on to say, indeed, how we think of him is really of no importance except insofar as it is related to how he thinks of us. Church, it's a double-sided coin. We are to know and to understand our God, not creating a God for ourselves based on a little bit of Bible and a little bit of experience and a little bit of what some other religions might say. We base our understanding of who God is. We draw that picture of God solely from what the Bible tells us about him because the scripture is his self-revelation to us. It is what he has told us about himself. But yet in his amazing word, he also tells us who we are. He tells us who he is, but he also tells us who we are. As we sang earlier, we are a child of God, Jesus Christ. Do you believe that? Would you stand? Would you stand with me? It says in 1 John 3, 1, let this be uh, your parting scripture for this morning. Take this to heart. Embrace it. I truly pray you believe it. See what great love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God, and that is what we are. I trust you believe that this morning. Let's pray. Father, as believers in Jesus Christ, those of us in this room who have believed in him to be rescued for the salvation from our sin, those of us who believed we know that we can say without a shadow of a doubt that we are your children. We thank you that you can call us your children because of your love. What great love you have for us, that we can be called children of the living God. That is what we are. Father, as we leave this place now, God, help us to accept that about ourselves, to truly continue to search you who is really unsearchable, but to seek out who you are as we read your word. Lord, as we spend time in prayer talking with you, our God, through Jesus Christ, God, we pray, continue to reveal yourself to us. Show us who you are, Lord. Show us in your word that you are omniscient, omnipresent, God, that you are sovereign, that you are love. God, all these things, may we continue to grow in our depth of understanding all the days of our life. But thank you, God, that you tell us who we are. Our identity is found in you and you alone. Thank you that we are your children, sons and daughters of the living God. May we embrace that, Lord, as we go forward from this day. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Praise the Lord.
Good news for the shame. There is good news for the world who walked away. There is good news for the doubter. The one religion failed. For the good Lord has come to seek and save. He's